0: Thanks for joining Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast. I'm your host, Corinne. And I'm your host, Brittany. And we work at the National Estuarine
1: Research Reserve, or NEAR, on Sapelo Island, a Georgia barrier island. Last
0: episode, we talked a lot about the lives of shorebirds. But today, we kind of like to switch focus
1: on to another set of birds we encounter in our estuaries.
0: And judging by our episode title, I'm going to have to go with... Ducks? Yep. The ducks. But not all ducks actually quack.
1: (laughs) Yes, like that. (laughs) Now, everyone listening has probably at least seen a duck. They are some of the most easily recognizable
0: birds. Well, yeah, if it quacks like a duck and floats like a duck, it's probably a duck.
1: Exactly. That saying is called the duck test, and it's actually a form of abductive reasoning. The test implies that a person can identify an unknown subject by observing that subject's habitual characteristics because ducks are really easy to ID based off of what it's doing and where it's found. These ducks are recognized by several common traits. They prefer shallow water and dabble or tip to feed. Their legs are set near the middle of their body, and they are able to walk comfortably on land, although a bit awkwardly, and it's pretty cute. When taking flight, they leap almost vertically from the water, and they have bright patches of colors called a speculum on each wing.
0: Waterfowl also tend to exhibit stark sexual dimorphism, which we discussed in previous episodes. The male ducks, or drakes, look vastly different from the females or hens during breeding season. This is easy to observe in numerous Georgia ducks, but particularly with Georgia's most common duck, the wood duck. The wood duck makes up nearly 50% of all ducks harvested by Georgia hunters, and it is the only duck that breeds in significant numbers in our state. Currently, the Georgia Department of Natural Resources operates 90 wildlife management areas across the state. On these areas, almost 2,000 wood duck nest boxes are maintained annually. Other agencies, such as the U.S. Forest Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, maintain over 500 wood duck nest boxes on their properties. Many private landowners also build and maintain wood duck nest boxes. And the wood duck, like all other waterfowl species, relies heavily on man's conservation efforts for its continued survival— With the continuing loss of mature bottomland hardwoods, the naturally occurring cavities that wood ducks use for nesting remain scarce. By providing artificial nesting cavities, conservationists can help enhance local wood duck populations.
1: Another well-known waterfowl are mallards. Mallards are commonly seen at park ponds or neighborhood communities, but most of the time, these ducks are not really wild. They are purchased to add aesthetics to the ponds. A permit is not needed to own or sell a mallard duckling, but all domestically hatched mallard ducklings are required to be identified by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. For this reason, some breeders remove one back toe when the ducklings hatch, and that is proof that some birds are domestically hatched and not from a local marsh.
0: Mallard ducks can be wild and are the most common and recognizable wild ducks in the Northern Hemisphere. You'll find mallard ducks near ponds, marshes, streams, and lakes, where they feed on plants and vertebrates, fish, and insects. Mallards are dabbling or service-feeding ducks because they do that little tipping thing underwater where their butt's in the air and their head's underwater and they're kicking their feet. You know, it's really cute. Um, rather than diving, mallards also forage and graze for food on land. The mallard duck's outer feathers are waterproof, thanks to oil that's secreted from a gland near the tail. And beneath this tightly packed, waterproof layer of feathers lies a soft, warm layer of feathers called down. Twice a year, mallards molt or shed their flight feathers, temporarily grounding the birds for several weeks until the feathers grow back.
1: And besides the wood duck and the mallard, there are several other species of dabbling ducks found in Georgia during the fall and winter. Green and blue-winged teal are some of the smallest members of the waterfowl family. Blue-winged teal are early migrants and often pass through Georgia as early as September. Together, these species account for about 7% of Georgia's annual duck harvest. Other dabblers found in Georgia include the American Wigeon, the Northern Shoveler, Malted Duck, Gadwall, and Northern Pintail. None of these species individually account for more than 3% of Georgia's duck harvest, though.
0: Now, diving ducks differ from dabbling ducks in several ways. They prefer deeper, more open water, and they dive to feed, often to depths of several feet. Their legs are set further back on their body, which allows them to swim better underwater, but makes them appear a little more awkward when trying to walk on land. When taking flight, they run across the surface of the water prior to becoming airborne, and their wing patches are usually white or gray. The ring-necked duck is the most common diving duck in Georgia, but others we see include the canvasback, lesser scop, hooded mergansers, buffleheads, and ruddy ducks. Buffleheads are probably my favorite because I can actually identify those
1: while they fly from the large white underbellies and white stripe on their head, although I have been known to confuse them with some similarly colored Morganzers. We talked about how hard it is to ID shorebirds, but ducks for me are almost just as hard sometimes, especially when they're actively flying. When they are calmly floating along, you, sh- you can usually tell by looking at, one, the size, you know, how large is the duck, Two, the head. Are there any markings that are visible? Um, Three, the bill, which is the size and color of the bill, because they can really vary in color. Uh, The fourth one is the neck, or what length the neck is. Number five is the plumage. What are the most prominent colors on the back, rump, neck, breast, and flanks? And six, the speculum, which is the patch of iridescent secondary feathers on each wing we talked about. Is the duck's speculum any unique color? Are there any borders or stripes next to the speculum? How large is the speculum compared to the full wing, etc.? Uh, number seven is the legs. What color are the legs and how long are they? Where are they positioned on the bird's body? Like Corinne said, are they diving ducks or dabbling ducks? Does the duck walk well on land? Number eight is how long is the tail? Is it held stiffly upright or slack behind the body?
0: Even if you look at all of these different characteristics, it can still be a challenge since ducks don't like to hold still in the water. They'll typically take off flying away or dive down as soon as they realize you're watching them.
1: But you can get some good opportunities to test your ID skills here on the Georgia coast because
0: we have a lot of wetlands. Coastal wetlands, because of the influence of our crazy big tides, are extremely rich in nutrients and can provide important wintering areas for a variety of waterfowl species. Coastal bays and sounds are important areas for migrating scalp, mergansers, and scooters. It
1: is scooters, right? I think
0: it's scooters. Is it scooters? Okay. I've always called it scooters. There's not two O's. Oh. Is there? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Georgia's abundant waterfowl resources include both year-round residents as well as wintering migrants. However, the vast majority of Georgia's waterfowl are migrants from the northeastern United States, the upper Midwest, central Canada, and other northern areas. These ducks spend the spring and summer in their northern breeding areas and then migrate to the south during the fall and winter.
1: Now, the term flyaway is commonly used in two different ways when talking about ducks. The term can be used to describe a group of states and providences that work together administratively to manage their waterfowl resources, or it can be used as a biological term describing the flight path of the ducks themselves between breeding areas and wintering areas. The states that are included in each of the biological flyways work together to determine hunting regulations, since duck counts need to be managed on a migratory path to ensure they are not just counting the same duck multiple times. Administratively, Georgia is in the Atlantic flyaway, which also includes the states of Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Vermont, Virginia, and West Virginia, as well as the Canadian provinces of New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, Ontario, Prince Edward Island, and Quebec. Puerto Rico
0: and the Virgin Islands are also included in this slyway so it's a pretty large group. Because waterfowl depend on wetland habitats, and wetlands are rapidly declining, many conservation agencies and organizations are working to protect our wetlands and waterfowl. Federal agencies include the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the U.S. Geological Survey. State agencies like the Georgia Department of Natural Resources, Wildlife Resources Division, are working cooperatively with these federal agencies and with private conservation groups such as Ducks Unlimited, the Nature Conservancy, Waterfowl USA, and the Georgia Waterfowl Association to protect and enhance our wetland and waterfowl resources. In Georgia, the Ducks Unlimited MARSH program, or MARSH, standing for Matching Aid to Restore States' Habitats, has been a huge success. The Marsh Program is a conservation program that creates, restores, or enhances wetland habitats. Under this program, Ducks Unlimited and the Georgia DNR Wildlife Resources Division each pay for half of the costs associated with development of wetland projects. These areas provide habitat for migrating and wintering waterfowl, as well as aquatic invertebrates, numerous amphibians and reptiles, wading birds, shorebirds, certain species of neotropical migratory birds, and mammals, such as the beaver, round-tailed muskrat, and otter. In
1: addition to these conservation groups and programs, there are national laws that affect wetlands and laws that encourage landowners to manage their property for wildlife. Section 404 of the Clean Water Act requires permits from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers before any dredging or filling activities can take place in wetlands. Another important law that affects wetlands and waterfowl is the 1996 Food Securities Act, also known as the Farm Bill. Private landowners control 74% of the wetlands in the United States, and this piece of legislation is designated to encourage landowners to protect these wetlands. Landowners who qualify can enroll in programs such as the Conservation Reserve Program, the Wetland Reserve Program, or the Wildlife Habitat Incentives Program. These programs help offset the cost of creating or enhancing wildlife habitat on private property.
0: Another important conservation effort is the North American Waterfowl Management Plan, or NAWMP. This is an overall plan to conserve waterfowl resources across North America. The NAWMP contains population goals for all major waterfowl species and lists various conservation methods to achieve those goals. Partnerships between private conservation groups and various state and federal agencies are the key ingredient to making the NAWMP successful. Conservation groups, agencies, and legislators are all working together to ensure a strong future for our waterfowl resources.
1: So, why all the fuss over ducks? They are often found in wetlands and as they go about their daily routines they often move around to different wetland locations the ducks are ideal vehicles to shuttle seeds from place to place and that means healthier wetlands and biodiversity for the benefit of all birds and wildlife they can often introduce native plant species or even animal species such as frogs or fish to another wetland location ducklings too can make a dent in pest populations They eat a lot of larvae that would otherwise become pesky, biting mosquitoes. Ducks are also an important food source for many in the South who hunt.
0: Now, many people who are environmentalists might scoff at the importance hunters play at conservation, but oftentimes it's hunters and fishermen who are an area's first conservationists and notice changing habitats before coastal managers. They often keep records of their locations and favorite spots and can tell when numbers are down for an area or the fish have quit biting as much as they used to.
1: Hunters play an important part in our ecosystem, one that ecologists should recognize. You see, when people first came to these areas of coastal Georgia, they removed many of the large predators that control the population of the lesser prey species. The cougars, wolves, alligators, and bears that once roamed these areas were cleared out to prevent conflicts with people. This created an imbalance in the ecosystem, and it is therefore a human's responsibility to fix the mess that they made by keeping prey species, like waterfowl, in check. Responsible hunting and fishing is very beneficial to the environment, especially here in coastal Georgia.
0: Yep, it's only when people do not follow regulations or over-harvest species that there is an issue. Making sure that researchers monitoring populations work closely with hunters is just as important as coastal managers working with researchers to maintain healthy habitats.
1: Understanding that hunters make decisions that affect our coast is an important dynamic that we at the Wildlife Resource Division have to integrate into our plans. Just acting as enforcing agents or making rules without listening to concerns never benefits anyone.
0: So, Brittany, we're gonna have to do some jokes, of course. What do you call a duck that breaks into people's houses?
1: I don't know what. A robber ducky. (laughs) <laughs>
0: oh, goodness.
1: Well, I got one for you. Why do ducks fly south for the winter? I don't know. Why? Because they can't drive.
0: Well, why can't ducks drive?
1: Because their windshields
0: are always clacked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for a real question. This one comes to us from Ellen. I just found out the word coot was actually the name of a duck. Yep, coots are real. Coots are not actually ducks. Coots are medium-sized
1: water birds that are a member of the rail family. Uh, they're kind of like a mixture of your typical duck with a shorebird. Coots are tough, adaptable waterbirds, so you can see them in a variety of places. Purple gallinules can be seen around Savannah Wildlife Refuge in Harris Neck. At Sapelo, we have common gallinules or moorhens, and occasionally common coots in the winter. They can be very aggressive in defense of nesting territory. In courtship, a drake may pursue hens across water doing mating displays, which often include swimming with head and neck lowered, wings arched, and the tail raised to show off white patches. Nest sites are often among tall vegetation in the marsh in shallow water. The use of coot for an old man, especially a weird or cranky old man, seems to have evolved from the early use of the word coot as an informal name for various number of seabirds. I guess sailors just really thought they were grumpy and always squawking.
0: I think I'm going to have to include coot in my lexicon of bird names to yell at people. Oh
1: yes, I have quite the collection myself, if I do say so. Heaven forbid someone cuts me off in traffic. You will hear me yelling, you monotonous lark! Check out this hot and tot button quail. What a fluffy back-tit
0: babbler. We typically only go with native birds as curse words in my house. I prefer to yell a good yellow-bellied sapsucker at offending persons or objects to relieve my annoyance. (laughs) For more information about any of the topics we covered today or to submit your question that may be featured in our upcoming episodes, please email us at signer.socials at gmail.com. That's S-I-N-E-R-R dot socials. At gmail.com.
1: Thank you for listening to Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast brought to you by the Sapelo Island National Estuarine Research Reserve. Please check back for more episodes released on the 1st and the 15th of each month.
0: And that's the Sapelo Sound.